Welcome back to the Uncover Up. Today we are just recording a little uh, subcast, a little mini guy, uh, and I'm here with Nathan Racky. Hello, and I'm here with Elena Papianis. Hi there. Hi, Nathan. How's it going? Not bad, except I'm, we're missing something. I know. It, it, like, there's I an empty like space have, between us. Yeah, there's. I got elbow room now. Mm-hmm. It, it feels less organized today. It does. Less. Less Lee-ish. Less Lee-ish. If anybody's worried about Lee, because at this point he has publicly made claims against the CIA, yeah, the FBI, mm-hmm. uh, Courtney Love, definitely, uh, Beyonce. Uh, he just didn't know who she was. I don't think. He, yeah, but I mean that in itself Which is offensive is enough. Pretty offensive. Yeah. Yeah. So if anybody's worried that something has happened to Lee, he's fine. Uh, we have proof as of life. As far as we know. Well, I mean, we have proof of life. That's true. A couple well, days ago. A couple days ago. But uh, he's in an undisclosed location. We think he's still fine. If you're out yeah. there, Lee, good luck. <laughs> okay, so what are we doing today? It's actually nice to come here without like a book that I need to look at and stuff. I need to. It's just I'm kind of blissfully ignorant today. So what are we? What are we doing? Yeah, normally you show up with like luggage mm-hmm. of just piles and piles of papers <laughs> and books. It's and not folders. that bad. It's impressive. And today you've got a scarf and. And I've got my little unicorn thermos. I have my daughter's thermos that I I didn't have my own with me, so I just put it in a little. I'm gonna post a photo. Yeah, that's of it. good. It's enough. lovely. It's got unicorns and rainbows. That's an amazing thermos. My that's good enough there. to post. Mm-hmm. Today we are going to add to the list of very powerful groups that are angry with us. Right. Uh, because today we are doing a shocking expose of the Freemasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a bit of an older conspiracy. This is like an old school one. Like, what do you know about the Freemasons right now? Uh, just that they were like a secret um, all-male society. Yep. And yeah, there was just a lot of secrecy around their rituals and the things they did and how you gained membership. And Yeah, yeah. Uh, those are some key things. They're, they're all-male and it's super secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got all sorts of weird handshakes right. and like secret signs and symbols. In fact, I'll give away one of their secrets right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, if you are a Mason and you're in trouble, there is a secret pass phrase that you can say and then if there's other masons around they will come to help you oh so uh, we're going to expose that right now the sentence is who will help the widow's son that's really cumbersome yeah it's super cumbersome that's hard to work into just (laughs) a normal conversation yeah and i feel like if there aren't other masons around you're just going to get like an awkward silence yeah and then really no one will help you because they're like what's with that guy talking about widows and stuff yeah but yeah, so it's this odd organization. They have these odd rituals and, and nobody's allowed to know what they're doing. And also, of course, the other thing that everybody knows about the Masons is that there are like a surprising number of very uh, important people through history, especially in the mm-hmm. United States, who were also in this secret organization, right. including uh, nine signers of the Declaration of Independence. Thirteen U.S. presidents for sure were Masons. Uh, Winston Churchill was a Mason. And it goes on and on and on. So who is this secret group that has these really powerful members? Now, what we're talking about today is we'll, we'll do a brief history because I think it's important uh, just to give a very general overview of, of what this group is. But the main thing that I wanted to talk about today, remember when we were doing the uh, Beyonce Illuminati mm-hmm. podcast, mm-hmm. we came across a lot of Satanism and occult stuff. Well, I came across a story while we were researching that that we just didn't have time to fit into that podcast. And so I wanted to do this right. this subisode. Subcast. Mini so cast. <laughs> I wanted to do this short episode. <laughs> because uh, years ago, 
when I was first designing the, the, the course that we teach, I talked to a lot of people who believed that there was some really sinister stuff going on mm-hmm. with the Freemasons, not just the stuff that I had heard of before, like uh, possible murders and uh, corruption and, and things like that, but like high-level witchcraft, like magic stuff. And I was curious about this. I wanted to know, so how did, how did we get this idea? Like, right. where did this come from? Like, why, why do people always imagine the worst, too? Why isn't it like you imagine that they're, I don't know, making hats and sending them to a foreign country who needs hats? Like, why, why we, always, we always go to the worst case scenario with groups and people? And, I mean, for the Freemasons, uh, historically, there have been famous people who have been uh, terrified of them. Howard Hughes, mm-hmm. uh, the famous rich guy and uh, Kleenex box uh, wearer. Okay. Shoes. And a urine collector. Okay. He had gone pretty mad by the end. He was convinced that Freemasons ruled everything. In the United States, there was an early political party, which was just overtly the anti-Mason party. Right. And they got like 8% of the vote in an election. The Masons have long been this sort of mysterious figure villain, very similar to the Illuminati. Right. I guess it's like a power thing, too. We assume that people with power doing, high, doing things in secret are doing bad things. Yeah, it's like like it's just a place of corruption or say Satanism or something negative always. And, and I mean, we don't often get into psychology, but I wonder. I sort of speculate if that's because we think that's what we would do if we had secret. Power. Right, we right. would immediately abuse it. Yeah, and not to get ahead of ourselves, but some of the things that the Masons are going to get accused of today in this uh, episode include things like uh, levitation, transmorphing into water, oh. like um, like the Terminator. Okay, yeah. Transforming tables into live alligators. Huh. Like we're talking like wow. this is some serious stuff. Okay. Okay, so let's get let's get into it. Who the heck are the Masons? Well, first clue, they're called the Masons. Mm-hmm. And that's a word that means something. We know what that is. That's somebody, it's like a bricklayer, somebody who works with stone, uh, a builder. Mm-hmm. And while there's a bunch of sort of old legends that this group dates back to like the Temple of Solomon or the Knights Templar or any of that. According to most historians, it, it goes back to the Middle Ages in Europe, uh, a t- time of uh, feudalism. Uh, feudalism, very, very briefly, is this idea that, uh, as far as I understand, each little area has sort of a lord, and then all yeah. of the serfs who live in that that area are basically, they have to answer to the lord. They're and it's like a reciprocal relationship. So okay. the Lord allows them to use the land and sort of re- reap what they need. And in return, like a Lord could send some of those serfs to war on his behalf kind of thing. So they have this kind of reciprocal responsibilities toward one another. Okay. But ultimately the power resides with the... With the Lord. With the Lord. Yeah, or, and, yeah. and the work and the Lord, is done by... Yeah, does yeah by all those workers who are are allowed to use the land in the meantime. Okay, but then the fruits of all their labors, they're like allowed. They keep enough so that they can survive, yeah. but most of the profit then goes up to the Lord. Right. Okay, so at this time, you had one group of skilled workers, and because they were skilled and because uh, they understood things about construction and building, this gave them a real advantage. Uh, so unlike most of the laborers who were sort of trapped. If, if you were born a serf in an area, you're mm-hmm. basically going to live there your whole life and die there. Right. But if you're uh, a mason, then that is valuable enough and difficult enough that that gives you a little bit more leeway in the Middle Ages and you can travel to other places and you can keep more of your own earnings. And so the masons were sort of a class in amongst themselves. 
And in order to protect those secrets, because in this case, Mm -hmm. knowledge is power, right? Right. They have to make sure that other people don't learn these skills they have or all of a sudden they're not as valuable. So in order to protect their secrets, in order to uh, protect their fellow tradesmen and develop rules of of conduct for their uh, guild, I guess you could say, they form this organization that now we would think of as a uh, like a trade union. Right. This sort of starts to explain some of the the secrets they have, uh, why they wanted to keep control, why they didn't want people to know about what they had, because basically the thing that allowed them to be slightly freer, mm-hmm. to be Freemasons, was this secret knowledge that they right. had. And so uh, they do fairly well because obviously everybody needs things built and they're able to save up some money and the union gets stronger and stronger and larger and larger, but it remains secret. Something happens then which kind of transforms this from a trade union of builders into something else, into what we recognize today. And what happens is around 1600, of course, uh, we see things like the development of, well, the printing press is, is, uh, has been out for about 100 yeah. years at this point. Yeah. Uh, education is starting to improve. Literacy rates are mm-hmm. skyrocketing. There's more books around. And so what we see in Europe in particular is a real increase in the level of knowledge and information that's mm-hmm. circulating throughout the society. And misinformation. And misinformation, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. Now, one of the things that this does is it makes it much harder for them to hold on to their secrets. Right. Because now, like, books by ancient Greeks about how right. to construct and build, they get circulated, and so... And now more people can read them, and, and they're in vernacular literate, like uh, languages, so they can read them as not stuff in Latin, like the church would have put out before the printing press. Exactly. Yeah. And so what that means is that now these Masons who previously had like jealously guarded all of these secrets, well, it's harder to guard secrets in a native age of information. Mm -hmm. And so now they're out there. So what happens with those Masons groups is that they start to decline in popularity and they start to dwindle. Uh, But at the same time, something else is happening socially. And that is that there's a lot of, I guess you would call it tension. Mm -hmm. There's tension between these new ways that are devoted to reason and rationality and science and mathematics and the old sort of traditional ways in which ultimately the organization that is basically in charge of your society is going to be the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because previously the Catholic Church had a monopoly over the universe, basically, in Europe. They got to decide the nature of life and death and good and evil and how the universe worked. But with the scientific revolution that starts in about 1600, now you've got this sort of counter-narrative showing up, this narrative of rationality. And the fact was kind of invented, even the idea of a fact in a way. I recently read this in in an article when I was reading about the impact of the printing press on the scientific revolution. And just just this notion that you could have this this fact as a thing, like a provable, a thing that was true for certain the notion of it was even invented around that time. Yeah, because, I mean, this is the dawn of things like uh, empiricism. Yeah. The idea that you could know the world by looking at the world and figuring it out. It mm-hmm. wasn't like this weird arbitrary place where everything happened on a whim. Uh, of course, it didn't mean that people stopped believing in God and stuff. No. It was just more the idea that they thought God has made this world with laws in it, and the world operates according to the laws that God made mm-hmm. rather than just whatever God was feeling at that time. Right. But there was a lot of tension there because, of course, information is power. And so as more people started to gather up information, the church starts to lose their monopoly and therefore starts to lose power. And so they start really clamping down. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we have lots of examples of this, of this tension. Uh, People like Copernicus, 
Galileo, uh, some of whom, or Bruno, who actually got set on fire uh, during the Inquisition in 1600. These people who wanted to find a place where they could safely discuss some of these ideas of reason and rationality, of uh, democracy, of individualism, they needed a place to go to talk about these things. The Masons needed more members Mm -hmm. so that they could keep their bank accounts full. And so basically what happens there is the Masons say, okay, we're no longer just a secret organization to help out builders. Now we're this sort of Enlightenment era uh, Renaissance organization where people can come and sort of secretly meet and have these underground societies Mm -hmm. in opposition to the powers that existed at the time. And who tried to recruit from who? Wasn't it, was the Freemasons tried to recruit from another group or? Uh, The Illuminati. Illuminati recruited Freemasons. Yes, exactly. When the Illuminati showed up, because the Freemasons were sort of already moving along fairly well by the time the Illuminati shows up in 1776 in Europe. And so what Adam Weishaupt did was he saw this organization already existing. He's like, ooh, if I can infiltrate them, Mm -hmm. I'll just replace them. Okay, so we have this secret group. And now they're more dedicated to enlightenment ideas, thought. Yeah. So uh, let's look at some of their key beliefs according to them. Basically, uh, have you ever seen their symbol? It's a big capital G. I think so, yeah. And then there's some like... post it on our Instagram too. Yeah, we'll (laughs) we'll post it up. Because I can't describe things very well. But there's a big capital G and then there's a like a building square. Right. And there's a compass that you might have used in like grade eight math class. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that symbol demonstrates what they argue is their main belief, that truth Mm -hmm. comes from geometry. Like there's a truth to the geometry. There is a perfection to Mm -hmm. it, like a platonic form to geometry and to math. Uh, The G could stand for geometry. It could stand for God. Mm -hmm. It could stand for great architect of the universe. Mm. Oh, interesting. Which is kind of both. Yeah. It's this idea that it's all the same thing. Like God is geometry and geometry is God and so on and so forth. This kind of very uh, rational, reasonable approach to understanding the universe was very appealing to thinkers who were trying to break away from the, the dominance of the church at the time. They, the other thing that made them very, uh, made the church very hostile to this, this group is that they're not specifically Christian. Mm-hmm. According to the Masons, you can't join unless you believe in a higher power, but they're not picky about what that higher power is. So there's more about spirituality. Yeah, yeah. And just believing that there's there's something. So right. if Some, you are yeah. Hindu, then that's fine. You can be a Mason. Right. Uh, if you're a Muslim, if you are Sikh, it's all fine. Mm-hmm. Unless you're an atheist. Right. And you can't join. Right. I don't see that as threatening to religion, but that's because I don't understand this sort of two worlds idea that sometimes emerges in Christianity. Yeah, this very binary, like, it's our God or it's the wrong God yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, like I have this sort of wishy-washy kind yeah. of hippie idea of religion. It's like, oh, it's all different ways. It's like blindfolded people touching an elephant and getting different ideas of what the elephant is. Yeah. But a lot of people are more like, if this isn't explicitly about our God, then it must be with... Satan. Satan. Yeah. Make the move to Satan. And so Satan comes back yeah, into it's our really, podcast. Yeah, yeah, right back. Yeah, it's really, I don't know, it's problematic. I mean, I grew up in a religious religious household, so I understand that. But it wasn't not like it was a fundamentalist one or anything. But 
I, I probably have the more hippie approach that you do in my age now. Yeah, so it's hard for us to understand. Yeah, that. like I don't, why you gotta be that way? Yeah. You know? But it also, I could kind of see it because if you're trying to maintain a monopoly of control over yes, society, the sure. last thing you need is for a bunch of people to be like, well, there's lots of different ideas. Totally. When they're trying, especially so in this time, so before the printing press too, we have really, if you wanted knowledge or an interpretation of the Bible, it was the priest giving that to you at church. Yeah. They were reading it. They were interpreting it for you. It was their word. You had no way to know, no way to check it. Then, you know, after the printing press, you can have your own Bible in your own home. If it's in German, let's say you're in, you know, in Germany, you learn how to read it. You can interpret it for yourself. It's like already this loss of power from the church. And then to take it beyond that, to be like, well, you can believe in any God. Like, that's just... And it's like, well, then, we're, then what are we even doing anymore? Yeah, like, yeah. why do we even that's have a like religion? That's like an extreme threat. And of course... We should do one that's explicitly on Satanism at some point. Mm -hmm. We've touched Satanism a few times. Mm -hmm. We've touched the idea of Satanism <laughs> a few times. But this idea that I think one of the key concepts of modern Satanism is like every person is their own God. Right. And so uh, I, I could see how somebody might see this as leading towards that. Totally. If you have a bunch a of gods. slippery slope and, towards, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And then your entire society will collapse. Mm -hmm. But... There were a lot of revolutionaries who liked these revolutionary ideas. Uh, Mozart, Voltaire, and Voltaire was initiated uh, towards the end of his life into mason, uh, masonry by a guy you've heard of called Ben Franklin, mm -hmm. uh, George Washington, hmm. Simon Bolivar, uh, the founder of Turkey, Mustafa Ataturk. Uh, he wasn't a mason himself, but he hired a bunch of uh, masons to be his military staff. Paul Revere, Oscar Wilde. Wow. The thing that all these people have in common... Aside, of course, from the fact that they're all male because yeah. this is overtly a sexist organization, <laughs> yeah. is that these are all revolutionaries. Right. These are all people who are upsetting the sort of normal... Status quo. Exactly. Yeah. And so could be seen as dangerous people. And of course, there were actual revolutions about this time, too. You had the American Revolution in 1776. I just learned the Boston Tea Party. Mm -hmm. That was a Masonic event. Oh, it was. The men who climbed aboard that ship mm -hmm. and tossed over the British tea in a protest, mm -hmm. which fired up the revolution, those were all Masons, and that had been planned at a Masonic lodge. Interesting. Uh, the French Revolution, 1789. Like, it was a revolutionary time. It was a scary time. Mm -hmm. So the idea that there was a secret group with secret handshakes yeah. who were, like, secretly meeting to discuss... And revolution was a new idea at that time. Like, today yeah. we take for granted that, oh, it's a revolution here, or it's it's all in... Either, I mean, there's present day ones or ones that have happened in the past, but at that time it was all new and scary. Yeah, and yeah. I think a lot of our listeners live in places where there are democracies. Mm -hmm. And so democracy doesn't seem like, I mean, flawed for sure, but democracy doesn't seem like that shocking an idea. Right. The idea that you would boot somebody out, put someone else in, that's pretty normal to us. Mm -hmm. But at the time, like that was unthinkable. There were some royal families who had ruled for like over a hundred years. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that you were just sort of throwing all of this out for these newfangled ideas by these young people, terrifying. Masonry had also seen some controversy. In the United States in 1826 in New York, uh, there was a guy called... <laughs> you can't read your own writing? I cannot read my own writing. What the hell does that say? Morgan? Let's see. Morgan. Morgan. That makes more sense. Yeah. There was a guy called William Morgan... And he had infiltrated a Masonic Lodge in New York. He did so because he was a spy. 
he was going to gather up the secrets of their mm-hmm. meetings and their knowledge and things like that, and then he was going to publish a book expose. This obviously made the Masons in his area furious, and he gets arrested for a, I believe, uh, a $2 bar tab. Okay. Which even back then yeah. doesn't shouldn't get you arrested. Yeah. But the police chief is a Mason. Mm. And so he gets thrown in jail, and then the guards, Masons, Mm-mm. So somehow uh, a bunch of people come into his jail cell and they grab him and they take him out and he is never seen again. Really? Like that guy absolutely got murdered. Mm-hmm. Like there's no... And not only was this murder terrifying just at the sort of normal murder level, but it also seemed to be something so sinister yeah. about the fact that this organization had infiltrated these organizations like the police force and, mm-hmm. and the courts and things and had been able to change them from American into Mason. Right. That's a legitimate controversy and conspiracy. Totally. And that that murder caused a, a huge uproar in the United States, uh, like I said, even resulting in the formation of the anti-Mason party who ran a presidential candidate, William Wirt. Hmm. And the fact that we don't know who that is indicates how well he did. Yeah. Not that well. But he got about 8% of the vote. Uh, He ran against Andrew Jackson in 1832. Andrew Jackson, of course, was a Mason. There you go. All of this pales in comparison to the expose that I am about to give you. This is exciting. Nathan looks, his eyes are like wild right now. Um, Yeah. Well, because we're about to have floating (laughs) alligators and stuff. Right, right. It's going to get real. Okay. 1884. The Pope of the Catholic Church at the time is a guy called Leo the Thirteenth, or Leo Thirteen. I don't know how popes probably how oh, they go. Probably the Thirteenth, I would think. Leo Thirteen. Where is it? No. Well, it was Pope John Paul the Second. Yeah. So okay, there's so a the. There's a the. So Pope Leo the Thirteenth, uh, Lucky Leo, we'll call him. He issues in 1884 a papal encyclical which is sort of like a a paper that they put out saying this is how things are. Right. Because as far as I understand, the Pope is considered to be like the envoy of the the head. Yeah, he's like the big guy. He's getting like divine knowledge. Yeah. So it's like, this is how things are. It was called the Humanum Genus. And what it was, it was a description of the dangers that the church was facing, particularly in Europe. Mm -hmm. And those dangers included things like democracy was considered a danger because of this idea that every person then becomes their own leader. Science was a danger because it was going to criticize conventional and historical... uh, Religious authority. Religious authority. The separation of church and state. This was something that people were really starting to push. And the Catholic Church was like, you can't have a state without us. Mm -hmm. What would that even look like? (laughs) And all of those practices that were considered dangerous to the church were promoted and spread by Freemasons. The official position of the church is, if you join the Masons, you are going to get excommunicated by the church. We are throwing you out. You cannot be a Catholic and a Mason at this point in history. I'd like to read from the, if I may, Mm -hmm. read from the Humanum Genus. This is about the Freemasons. Then come their doctrines of politics, in which the naturalists lay down that all men have the same right, and are every respective equal and like condition— that each one is naturally free, that none has the right to command another, that it is an act of violence to require men to obey any authority other than that which is obtained from themselves. So human, so equality is a farce? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you listen to that, does that, I tried to read it in like an outraged tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But when you hear that, does that sound scary to you? No, it sounds like someone who's losing power or afraid of 
losing power saying, well, I, like, why am I not the authority? Why are there not people who know more than other people? It's surely not everyone is should have the same rights and power in our society. Yeah, like, I feel like if you read this in a different way, it would be more like, hey, this is great news. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That could also say that you and I may have like a teenager's approach to authority. Yeah, I guess so. Like, I yeah. struggle with authority. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> you have a complicated <laughs> yeah. relationship with authority? Yeah. Yeah. The church comes out with that and they're like, okay, we got to protect ourselves. There's some dangerous ideas that are being spread by the Masons. And that brings us to the mm -hmm. main guy. Now we have enough background. Now let's talk about this guy who I've become obsessed with for okay. a week, <laughs> uh, known as Leo Taxel. Leo Taxel. Okay. Leo, born Gabriel Jean Page Ooh. in, thank you, wow. in Marseille, uh, France in 1854. He's born into like a middle-class family. He's, his family does pretty well. He's well-educated as a child. Uh, he is educated by the Jesuits. Okay. Who, of course, are famous for their, yeah. their uh, educational programs. However, the religious indoctrination that he gets doesn't appear to take. Uh, it's possible that because he's living in the 19th century and there's all these weird new ideas uh, floating around, he gets really entranced by these new ideas and becomes a bit of a revolutionary himself. Uh, becomes a journalist. He works for an anti-religious paper. In the reports that I was reading, they were referred to as an infidel paper. Oh, okay. Because these were real old yeah. reports. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he writes a bunch of anti-religious books, including uh, one called uh, La Bible Amusant. Oh. The Amusing Bible. Right. La Vie de Jesus. Okay, The Life of Jesus. I'll see if you get this one. Les Maîtresses du Pape. The mother of... What's the last word you said? Du Pape. Oh, the Pope. The, the, oh, the Maîtresses. What's that? Mistress. Mistress, mistress. The Pope's yeah. mistresses. Yeah. So clearly, oh. these are books... Yeah. He's trying to kick up some dirt. He, he's kicking up some yeah. dirt. He's, he's, he's causing a ruckus. That last one's basically just pornography. Okay, yeah. Like it is just a description <laughs> of just like filthy, filthy acts, a lot of which happen in like hidden caves and stuff. And he's talking about how the, the high up uh, leaders of the church are all just a bunch of perverts. Mm -hmm. And of course, these books sell like hotcakes. Mm -hmm. Because people can cluck their tongues and be like, well, this is outrageous. Yeah. And I must read all One of them. Point out the hypocrisy or uh, what you want to see as hypocrisy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we, we love that story. And also, I think it's safe to say that smut sells. Yeah, for sure. And these, like, they're very descriptive. And so this provides people a very educated way mm -hmm. of reading porno. Right. But he gets in trouble. Uh, in fact, Taxo gets into a lot of trouble. Uh, the first thing that happens in 1879, he gets charged with uh, insulting a religion recognized by the state, which is against the law. Mm -hmm. So he goes to trial. He is acquitted, but he apparently learns his lesson because in 1884, uh, he's inspired by uh, his brush with the law. He's inspired by the uh, encyclical that Lucky Leo has just put out. And divinely, he has a vision of Joan of Arc. Oh, interesting. This is enough to change him completely. He changes his ways and he says, my God, like, what have I been doing with my life? I've been throwing away this amazing gift. I have this capacity to write and I've been using it to attack the church. What I should do instead, I will now attack the enemies of the church. Mm -hmm. And of course, who was the number one enemy of the church in Europe at that time? What organization, which seemed so threatening, of course, the Freemasons, Freemasons. He directs his uh, journalistic integrity uh, towards the Freemasons and writes a bunch more books. 
the most important one is this book called The Devil in the 19th Century, where he accuses Masons of being in league with Satan. And this is where we get uh, the following acts described. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tables floating in the air. Tables being turned into live crocodiles. Human sacrifice. And tons and tons of orgies. Right. And again, because there's tons of orgies, these books also sell like hotcakes. But he didn't infiltrate the Freemasons in the same way that the the guy who was murdered did. did no, he? no, he didn't infiltrate them, but he had some people on the inside. Okay, he had, he had some, some people sources. on the inside, some sources, including one very important source who we'll get into a second, named Diana Vaughn. Now, these books sell very well because, again, smut sells. Smut sells. I, I guess if you had been the suspicious sort, you might have noticed that a lot of the orgy scenes in these anti-Mason books kind of resembled (laughs) the earlier orgies in the anti-Catholic books. Right. But uh, I think this is sort of a a key point. People are always willing to suspend their disbelief if you're giving them what they want. Totally. If it confirms their belief already, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To the point where in 1887, he actually has... Leo Taxel has an audience with Lucky Leo, Pope Leo XIII, because now... Far from being this sort of infidel Mm -hmm. blasphemer who is arrested for insulting the religion, now he's a hero. Yeah, same enemy. And the most important thing that he has done is that he has a source named Diana Vaughn. Now, Diana Vaughn was a Satanist. Okay. And as a Satanist, she was used by the Freemasons in order to sort of conduct these satanic rituals and perform magic spells and things like that. But then one day, when she was performing a dark mass, uh, she had been told to spit on the sacrament. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the wafer, right? Yeah. Okay. And she refused. She's like, no, this is a holy sacred thing. I'm not going to do it. And then she escaped the masons before they could kill her. She turned her back to her evil ways. She gave up her magical powers, which included uh, such impressive powers as the ability to pass through walls. Okay. And the ability to turn into water. How does one give up their magic powers, I wonder? If your magic powers come to you from a dark place, once you reject that dark place... Satan closes the door. Yeah. Yeah. And doesn't open a window. Right. Because that's, that's not his jam. So then, with the help of Leo Taxel, Diana Vaughn writes an expose in 1895 of the sort of terrible satanic magic that's going on underneath, uh, under, underneath the ground of these Masonic lodges... Here's just one small sample of the kind of thing that Diana Vaughn was writing about in her exposés. Uh, this is a description of what she witnessed at a black mass uh, during a Masonic ritual. Ahem. In, in a, a thick, thick cloud, cloud of perfumes, perfumes the, the priest ascends the altar of Satan's synagogue. synagogue. On, On the, the table is seen a goat with a human face, already excited by some preliminary homages, intoxicated by perfumes and adoration. The priest opens a box and takes out some wafers. The rites performed and the words spoken during the continuance of the magical ceremony are blasphemous in character, and the sacred vessel and its contents are subjected to insult and mockery. The goat plays the infernal part, cursing and reviling. And lastly, the following incantation is delivered. Master of the Esclandres, dispenser of the benefits of crime intended of sumptuous sins and great vices, sovereign of contempt, preserver of old hatreds, and inspirer of vengeance and misdeeds, at this ceremony, the children of the choir are clad in red and wear scarlet caps surrounded by two horns. They hold black candles in their hands. Okay. It gets sent to Lucky Leo, 
And she receives a letter back from uh, Leo's secretary, Vincenzo Sardi, basically saying, hey, keep up the good work. Mm -hmm. Like, you are doing great stuff here. Keep it up. Now, people get so terrified of what's happening here that in 1896, there is an anti-Masonic Congress held in Trent. A thousand delegates, 36 bishops, and the guest of honor, of course, is Leo Taxel. Mm. People didn't just want to hear from him. They wanted to hear with their own ears from, of course... Diana. And he was being very guarded. He was like, I don't want to expose her to danger. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, the things that she has seen, she hasn't even told about everything that she's seen yet. Uh, Clearly, the powers that this group has are impressive. And, like, she was terrified, basically. Mm -hmm. She was in hiding. But eventually, he's convinced. 1897, Easter Monday. Mm -hmm. Taxel says, all right. I'm going to have a press conference today and I'm going to give the world Diana Vaughn and I'm going to let her tell the truth of the things that she has seen. And people are extremely excited about this. Tons of journalists are there. There's a ton of representatives from the Catholic Church there. Just sort of curious people there. There's people there who are hoping that more pornographic things are going to get said. (laughs) And he gives a bit of odd instruction at the door of the building where this is held. And he says, Please leave your walking sticks and your umbrellas outside. Okay. Why? Let's go back for a second. When Leo Taxel was 18, something very strange happened in his town of Marseille, which is that apparently the waters off the coast of Marseille became infested with killer sharks. Okay. To the point that they actually, in 1873, they sent 100 soldiers out into the ocean. Wow. To fight sharks. Wow. They found zero sharks. (laughs) But the whole town was terrified. The fishermen were staying home. Like, the whole town was in an uproar about these killer sharks that were Mm -hmm. everywhere. Uh, Now, what had actually happened was young Leo Taxel, at the age of 18, had written a bunch of hoax letters to the editor claiming to be different people who had seen sharks. Right. And it was super effective. Mm -hmm. Because then, of course, people started thinking they saw sharks. And then other people came forward with their story, and it snowballed, and it turned into this big thing. But he kept quiet about it. A few years after that, a rumor started circulating that somebody found an underwater city in a lake in France. Mm-hmm. And again, all sorts of academics flooded to the area, and all sorts of people speculated, and it became a great big deal. Both of those events were caused by Leo Taxel playing hoaxes. Interesting. He was like a... He was basically He's a... He's like a troll. He was a troll. Yeah. He would have done super well... In the modern yeah, age. Yeah, on Twitter, you would have Twitter. nailed it. Uh, what's about to happen is not going to be a surprise to right. you. Right. Why did he ask people to leave their walking sticks and umbrellas outside of the hall? So they would not all attack him with them? So they would not all attack him with them. Because what he does is, he's like, and I've read the entire transcript from the reporters at the time, and mm-hmm. it, it is uh, pretty hilarious. So he's like, nah, Ugh. none of it's true. You bunch of, you bunch of rubes. Right. A bunch of country bumpkins. So Diana was just a, f- a fiction? No, she was, a, she real was a real person. person. Okay. She was his secretary. Okay. And so the other thing he did was uh, he raffled off at this event, he raffled off her typewriter. Because he's like, here's the typewriter that all the stuff was written right. on. And, and he raffled that off. She thought it was hilarious. She was getting 150 francs a month from him just to sort of go along with right, this. Right, okay. But no, she hadn't, she couldn't turn into water. She hadn't seen flying crocodiles. Mm-hmm. None of it was true. And so he thought, ha funny joke. Anyway, and now I'm going to move on. 
And this is where I think the story gets important. Because do you remember when we talked about weaponized information mm-hmm. and this idea that somebody might start a rumor and then that rumor sort of takes a life of its own? Totally. Even though it's even though it's been debunked. Yeah. yeah. And maybe the even the original like reasons for that rumor to spread were now gone. Mm-hmm. When the uh, the Russian royal family started spreading anti-Semitic rumors in the protocols of the elders of right. Zion. The Russian royal family is long gone. The fake protocols of the elders of Zion remain. And it's still on the internet today. Well, what Taxel starts to realize is, uh-oh, because people don't believe him. Yeah. They he don't, can't say anything now. No. The problem is they don't believe him when he says he's lying. Right. Right. That's the, that's, that's the thing where he's like, oh, oh boy. Man. So they're all like, no, 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 it's okay. We know that the Masons are forcing you to right. say this. And he's like, no, 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 it's... It's actually... It's a really funny joke. Oh, man. It was my best one ever. And they're like, it's okay. It's, and he's like, damn it. I've got a quote from him, actually, which I think is fascinating. So in an interview afterwards, he says, The public made me what I am, the arch liar of the period. For when I first commenced to write against the Masons, my object was amusement, pure and simple. The crimes laid at their door were so grotesque, so impossible, so widely exaggerated, I thought everybody would see the joke and give me credit for originating a new line of humor. But my readers wouldn't have it so. They accepted my fables as gospel truth. And the more I lied for the purpose of showing that I lied, the more convinced became they that I was a paragon of veracity. Wow. What's that from? Uh, That is from an interview he did with a newspaper a few months after all of this uh, occurred. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. It's like it's it's like the classic Frankenstein's monster story. Mm-hmm. You make a monster and then you cannot control what happens totally. to it. He made up this story as a joke, but then had no control about what happened yeah. to it. Yeah. To the point that now I have met people who believed that those stories are true. Right. But had never heard of Leo Taxel. Right. Leo Taxel's forgotten by everybody. Yeah. They have a life of their own now, just yeah. those stories in and of themselves. Yeah, now they're off there circulating like viruses. Right. So that's the story of uh, Leo Taxel wow. and Diana Vaughn. That's good. Yeah. No, I find that fascinating. Leo Taxel. Leo Taxel, hmm. like the first troll, basically. Yeah. So what are the lessons that we get from this? I mean, there's a ton. What are some of the lessons we get from this story? Well, as we were just saying, this this idea that once information is out there, it's beyond the control of the originator necessarily. It can take on a life of its own. I'd say, I mean, even more in this day and age with the internet. And there'd be even more of a community following his and, and spreading his ideas. Yeah. It seems, it's to him, it seemed so bizarre that anybody could believe it. Mm-hmm. And it almost seemed like that guy who, that killer who wants to get caught and so starts to like make his killings more and more obvious. Right. He made his lies more and more obvious. He wanted to get caught. Mm-hmm. For one thing, until he gets caught, he doesn't get to be, ha ha, I fooled you all. So he wants to get caught, but he couldn't do it. He mm-hmm. couldn't lie in a ridiculous enough a way so that people would not believe what they wanted to believe. Wow. So what is what are some of the lessons we learn from this weird story? I mean, there's stuff about information and power, obviously. Mm-hmm. There's stuff about the, the dangers of secrecy. There, there's stuff about the importance of transparency. Mm-hmm. All that's in there. And like assumptions about corruption related yep. to power. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, the notion of confirmation bias and how we often... Like we've talked about this before, this idea that what you think determines what you see. Yeah. And so this idea that if you're if you already believe something, 
you will see things that look like evidence to you and use them as use them to confirm what you already believe rather than uh, thinking critically about them. Yeah. Whether that is sharks off the coast Mm -hmm. or Satanists in your midst. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that's the story of Leo Taxel. I would like to uh, thank all the people who have been writing to us. Uh, We've got a ton of emails. And what we're going to do is in a couple weeks, we are going to try to answer all of them Mm -hmm. in a podcast. Uh, So that'll be coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, I think we might have still a few more slots. So if you get uh, an email into us in the next couple weeks, this is the end of February. Mm -hmm. If you get one into us in the next couple weeks, we might be able to squeeze it in. Uh, what else uh, should we plug? Uh, we'll keep checking us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at The Uncover Up. Um, you can review us. That would be awesome. And thank you, Mandy. Shout out to Mandy for giving us our first review so far. Woo! Um, and if I, you're in the Toronto area. Yes. March 22nd. A Friday evening. Friday evening. 8 o'clock. We're taking over the airwaves. Yeah. Uh, CFRB AM 1010 for those Toronto listeners. News Talk 1010. Yeah. News Talk 1010. Yep. Uh, we're going to be on at 830 talking about... We don't know yet. We don't know. Some sort of conspiracy theories. Yeah, but we'll talk about something. Yeah. Um, and if you have, I guess, Sirius Radio, Satellite Radio, you can also check us out there. Yep. I believe. And hopefully by then, we found Lee. Yeah. He'll be back. We'll see. <laughs>